Uh, kids who have been traumatized typically show the trauma in terms of behavior. How you address that behavior either re-traumatizes them or helps them heal. And if you look at the behavior as coming from a place of pain and struggle, you treat it with compassion. If you look at the behavior coming from a place of deviance, you treat it with authority and control. We don't take things away from our kids. We don't have our kids sit in their rooms. If they're having a tough moment, we provide support and relationships and guidance and all of that. And when you can see the pain, you can help heal the pain. Welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Today we have a great conversation with William Martin, the Executive Director for the Waterford Country School. Nearly a century old, the Waterford Country School served kids that might otherwise be left behind. Through their foster homes, the unique schooling programs, a therapeutic boarding school, and more, they provide support that truly makes a difference to the kids they serve. Let's learn from William Martin. So I'm here today with Bill Martin. He's the executive director of the Waterford Country School. Thanks for being with us, Bill. How are you doing today? Doing well, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself and then maybe a little bit about uh, Waterford Country School. Uh, well, great. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the agency. Um, I have the great fortune of being the executive director of a pretty amazing place, uh, Waterford Country School has been here since the 30s, and we have been helping children and families in need uh, for that time. And, and the, the kids we work with are the kids whose situations are sometimes the most desperate, uh, kids who uh, don't have a place to live, kids who don't have a family, kids who need to be protected from, uh, from their families or the community, um, kids who need help with uh, school programs and can't find that help in the public schools. So we have a pretty critical mission that uh, uh, we're quite proud of and and uh, been doing it for quite some time right here in Quaker Hill, Connecticut. Wow. Uh, and so, so who specifically do you serve there? Well, we run nine different programs and each one uh, serves a different population in a different way. What connects them together is that our focus is on kids who are not able to thrive in the regular world that kids should be able to live in. So, for example, we have uh, an emergency shelter, which would be for kids who do not have any place to go. No family, no relative, no, no home or any place. And we take them in and we care for them until there is a place to go. We have... 80 foster homes scattered throughout southeastern Connecticut for kids who need a home to live in. And we provide support uh, for those homes and those kids to make those placements successful. We have about 80 kids that attend our on-ground school program. And it's designed for kids whose needs can't be met in public school. And we provide support and resources and special uh, education teachers to help them be successful. Uh, we have a therapeutic boarding school. We have a residential treatment program. We have uh, a two-week family support program for families that are trying to find their way through some crises and 
we help keep the families together through the short-term work. So the themes are the same, but the programs are pretty radically different. That is that's an amazing array of things. And so with the, the school, so that so not all those programs are for, for orphans and kids kids without families. Obviously. No, right. It's uh, most of our uh, education kids are local community kids that uh, uh, with great family support, but who require a level of educational support that isn't typically available in a large school system. So our, for example, our classroom sizes are uh, seven kids in a classroom with uh, a certified teacher and an aide in the room. And then we offer speech and language and clinical services and OT and, and whatever they need to help work on what their issues are. And many of those kids reintegrate back into public school and some will actually complete their education with us and graduate. Uh, and, and who funds this? Who pays for all this? Well, each program has its own funding sources so that uh, the state pays for some of the residential programs and foster care and uh, local towns pay for the school costs and uh, families pay for part of the boarding costs. So it's a it's a blended funding mix based on which program we're talking about. So, so a lot of it is is self-funded, you know, fee fee for service, I guess you'd say. Uh, all kind of fee for service. Some is in the form of contracts that pays for the program as a whole and some just plays for each child in the program but generally it's uh pretty direct funding to uh for the services we provide and I mean, we, school do, that... oh, go we ahead. do some support fundraising so we raise about uh 150 to 200 thousand dollars a year to support those programs and we're very fortunate to have local community support to raise that kind of money to be able to provide the support and what, what kind of things do you do to, to raise the funds um, well, we do two great things. Uh, one of the things we do is a uh, annual what we call Cabaret for Kids event, which is a, uh, um, a big gala of, uh, party at uh, Mystic uh, Marriott. And uh, we generally get two to 300 supporters to come out and spend the, the day with us. And, and then in the fall, we do a golf tournament, memorial golf tournament for one of our founding family members. Uh, at Great Neck Country Club, and that also is a tremendous success. Nice. Um, and now you said that, that you were founded back in the 30s. So how did the school get, get started back in the first well, place? Well, that's a great story. Uh, it actually was founded in New York in the 20s, and it was founded by the, a family called the Schacht family. And this was a woman who was working in the Brooklyn school systems who felt like kids with special needs and kids that were gifted were not being adequately serviced. So she began to teach them at home, at her home, before that was even a concept anybody ever heard of. And that program just grew and grew over the years. And all of a sudden there was need for programming for 40 kids and she bought a bigger home and, uh, then looked for a place to take the kids during the summer, which eventually led her to this property we're on right now, which was a farm. Uh, and they bought uh, 700 acres of farmland and that uh, this was where the kids from Brooklyn came and spent their summers literally farming. Uh, and that eventually moved, everything moved up here in the probably late 30s, early 40s. And slowly we built it from a... Uh, old working farm to a progressive treatment center. Um, and we still have 300 of those uh, 700 acres and 
21 buildings and lots of great resources for the kids. We still have the farm, uh, but it's a wildlife sanctuary now. So we have about 80 domesticated animals and about uh, 60 wildlife. And we do wildlife rehabilitation for Southeastern Connecticut, uh, taking about 200 sick or wounded animals every year. And the kids are involved in working with the domesticated animals in a sort of therapeutic animal environment. And it has been really a, a, a tremendous match between, you know, the metaphor that the same thing that causes animals to come to us, which would be being neglected or abused or disabled is the same thing that causes kids to come to us. And when we put the two of those together, amazing things happen. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, now tell me, tell me a bit about the, the facilities. I, I've been there of course, but many of our listeners probably have, have never seen it. So what kind of facilities do you have beyond the, the farm and the wildlife sanctuary? What sort of resources are there? Yeah, uh, most people don't see it because you don't go buy it to get anywhere. Uh, we're on Huntsbrook Road, which connects, uh, you know, a little bit of Quaker Hill and a little bit of Waterford, but it's not uh, on the path to anywhere. Uh, but we're a big 300 acre, uh, uh, most of it open land. But we have... Uh, uh, half a dozen buildings that kids live in, and we have a large school. We have a regulation high school-sized gym, conference rooms. We have uh, a dairy barn. We have a wildlife center. We have, I mean, we are really blessed with uh, 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 richness in land and facilities that uh, have been the benefit of uh, a lot of donors over the years. We've been tremendously fortunate but pretty much most of our facilities with a couple of buildings aside have been re rebuilt or are new since the late eighties. So it's a, while we're a older program by age, we're a newer program by design and uh, in our facilities. Uh, and how much, you said there's a number of different programs. So like how many kids do you serve on the, at the property and, and how, how many people are there serving them? That's a really good question, Michael. <laughs> um, I think uh, on a given day, if we include our kids that are in foster care and our kids that are on grounds and our day kids and all that, probably close to 300. Um, okay. And uh, with change and turnover, probably a total group of about 500 in the course of a year, different kids. So 300-ish mm -hmm. at a time, and but not in the same place, not doing the same things. You know, it's, it's across all those nine different programs of where they are. Um, but the other thing that makes us really special is about 10 years ago, we were fortunate enough to get connected with um, uh, some brilliant minds at Cornell University who had developed a new treatment model to help traumatize kids. And they had been doing work in the residential world for decades, but this was a, a new... Um, model to work on a special way to work with kids. And we were fortunate enough to be one of the first agencies to participate in their work. And we have moved on to being part of a new evidence-based way of working with traumatized kids that's showing great promise and success. We've uh, had the opportunity to participate in the research. We've been published a couple of times. Um, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity to be kind of into some groundbreaking work in a business that's been around for a hundred, you know, a couple of hundred years, actually residential care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you were saying before that, that you, you partner with, with Cornell as well in, 
Is that with that program? Well, me personally, I've been I've been able to beyond the work with Waterford, also work with them to help bring this model to other agencies and oh, great. to uh, develop trainers there. So, uh, and it's worldwide. Uh, there's as many uh, people practicing this model in Australia and Canada, practically as there are in the U.S. And it's starting to move in the direction of, uh, of Europe. So there's not a lot of agencies because it's a new model and it is. Uh, being sort of closely grown and monitored. So there might be 60 active agencies worldwide, but the promise it's showing is uh, pretty phenomenal in that um, uh, we've just been uh, such the benefit of those brilliant minds uh, at the university that it's very been very exciting. And so, so how is this model different from from uh, previous modalities? Yeah, it's a great question. I think probably the principal difference is to understand that uh, kids who have been traumatized typically show the trauma in terms of behavior and that how you address that behavior either re-traumatizes them or helps them heal. And if you look at the behavior as coming from a place of, place of pain and struggle, you treat it with compassion. If you look at the behavior coming from a place of deviance, you treat it with authority and control. And I think that most of the world addresses struggling kids with authority and control and judgment, and that we don't. Uh, we, we don't take things away from our kids. We don't have our kids sit in their rooms. We don't, if they're having a tough moment, we provide support and uh uh, relationships and guidance and all of that, and I'm simplifying it, obviously. Um, but I think that that change of tone really removes the the villain from the child and replaces it with the pain from a child. And when you can see the pain, you can help heal the pain. And I think that that's really what we do here is that this is a place where kids can start to feel good when their life has been bad and can start to... Uh, experience uh, where their strengths will take them, not where their problems will take them. And we really define our kids by how many minutes of good they have in every day, not how many minutes of struggle. And that's foreign to them. That's not something they're typically used to in uh, where they have come from and, and sort of their journey to us. Well, that sounds like a really great, con in, in some ways it seems obvious and yet it, it's not something you would instinctively do maybe. And, and also it, it, it it sounds like I hear parallels to to other uh, parts of life as well that you know people who who grow up you know maybe maybe tough on the streets um, they they have some aggressive behaviors that are born into them which make them you know anti-authoritarian which then give them issues with the police which then gives them more aggressive behaviors which gives them more issues with the police and you get kind of a downward spiral there and so it sounds really smart to be kind of breaking that cycle and responding with, with love instead of anger. Yeah. And certainly the older kids that, that uh, appear more high risk uh, tend to move in that pattern, but to their credit, uh, uh, Waterford uh, police have worked in concert with us and they are equally as compassionate and supportive of our kids on the, on the occasion where we uh, get them involved or our kids are not, uh, you know, not behaving safely. Um, so, so it really is, it's a mindset, right? And, and Cornell has proven that with their mindset and working on the principles that lead to that mindset, that um, kids will do better.
And I think that that's what our data is showing that in the 10 years we've been practicing this model, uh, our outcomes have been really phenomenally improved. And, and we, were, we thought we were doing a good job before that. Uh, and we're really happy about that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense talking about removing the villain. Um, I, I think I even see that with, with the way people engage on you know, adults, uh, otherwise quote unquote healthy adults. On social media, the more aggressive people are to them, the more um, sort of bad bad habits they develop, uh, and so I imagine no one's immune to to that sort of uh, scarring, if you will. You're exactly right, and you know, sort of anger begets anger, and it's very quick to kind of turn these struggles into ugly stuff. And I think that that uh, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, if you look at parents that maybe aren't the best parents to their kid. They didn't wake up in the morning saying, I'm going to be a crappy parent today, um, or that wasn't their goal in life. They, they have struggles of their own, and, and we work with families to help them sort of grow and develop to be better parents, and we work with kids to be better grounded as kids, and, and we understand that there was a phrase from uh, Ross Green that said, kids will do well if they can, you know, and, and that means that... They, they're not sort of pre-wired not to do well, that typically if they're struggling, it's indicative of other things that are going on. And if you can address the bigger picture, then you can help them, them move. And I think that uh, when you look at kids, there's a quote in our, in our work that says that if you plant lettuce and it doesn't grow well, you don't blame the lettuce. <laughs> and I think that our organization provides the soil around which kids can begin to grow and develop in a positive way uh, and to sort of just be in a better place in the world. Yeah, that sounds like a really good, really good uh, concept. So is there a name for this, this uh, Cornell new mode of, of working? Um, yeah, it's called, it's actually called CARE, C-A-R-E, which stands for Children and Residential Experiences. And, okay. um, and, and the, the book is actually available. Uh, it's, it's called Children and Residence Experiences by Martha Holden. Uh, and it's, so it's available to anybody that wants to review and practice. And, and actually, uh, I just found out recently in Canada, it's become a college textbook for some of the uh, people studying uh, residential, certified residential treatment work. So okay. it's, uh, um, like I said, fairly new. It came out, I think, in 07. And it's a, it's, it's, I mean, the whole thing is just fascinating, but, but it's a model that helps practitioners be kind and supportive and relational and connect and, you know, bring good to lives that aren't going so well and generally good comes of it. Yeah. And it seems especially important to kind of train and prepare the right mindset in the staff so that when, you know, when a, when a child is defiant or acting out, they don't see it as uh, an insult or a threat. They see it as simply the, the situation that they are there to address. Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, that that's what we want them to to see it as. What they can say is, I know what to do. I can help this kid. It's a good thing I'm here right now. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, oh, not again, right? And I think that that change is fundamental. And what they seem to realize is that those moments of struggle the kids have are not typically who the kids are. It's their moment. It might be once a day or once a week or once a month. But unfortunately, uh, the kids tend to be defined by those ugly moments. And we just, we just see it real different in our care environment that if they're having a tough moment, we know how to do, how to help them. 
and then get them back into the programs and the lifestyle and the uh, activities that, that they should be in as kids. And uh, both, you know, once they're here a little while, before you know it, they're in regular routine most of the time and just need support a little bit of the time. Um, so do you have any particular great success stories you can share about uh, kids who have come through your programs? Oh, boy. Yeah, every single day. Um, we, From our school of 80 students, we graduated five high school students this year. And that uh, they were kids that had all been with us a good amount of time. And we, we did it outdoors and we gave each kid a, a tent to, for them and their families to sit on and spaced them out on our field. And, and as each one came up and got their diploma, we saw them travel the most amazing road. You know, they had gone from just lack of academic success and not, not likelihood that they were ever going to graduate and struggling at home because that's what happens when, when school is tough. And, and every single one of them that picked up that diploma changed the direction of their lives um, and that we were fortunate enough to be part of that. Um, and, and that was just that one day in those five of our 300 kids. Uh, it's, um, it's kept me here. I've been here uh, over 40 years um, and it's kept me here all that time because when you have the good fortune to be able to step into somebody's life that isn't going well and help to change that, um, there's no greater purpose in terms of any work that I could ever hope to do. Um, that, that and I, does sound incredible. Uh, and and so, so what are some of the, the, you said, you know, children who are, are maybe not doing well in school, is that due to say learning disabilities or um, emotional disabilities or a little bit of everything? Well, we, we have quite a range of who we service. Typically it would be kind of a blended issue of having trouble learning, having trouble staying in the classroom, having trouble interacting with other kids, uh, uh, attendance might be an issue. And oftentimes, uh, um, most of the afflictions that the kids we work with have are invisible. You can't see depression, you can't mm -hmm. see anxiety, you can't see trauma, you can't typically see learning disabilities. And when people look at kids that are struggling and don't see anything wrong, it's very easy to judge them as bad kids, right? But if that kid was bleeding or had a broken arm, you would embrace them and give them support. So when we look at kids who maybe haven't attended school in a month and the school can't get them there, the first thing we look at is, you know, what, what's, what's going on that's keeping them from wanting to leave their house? And typically it's an invisible disability. And I'll give you a great, uh, great example. Um, the, uh, one of the cases we had, we had a uh, high school junior, 17 year old boy who had not been to school for the most part in almost three years. And the school came to us and, and asked if we would get involved. And that's uh, the first day he came to uh, interview, he wouldn't get out of the car. And the mother in tears said, I guess this means you're not going to take him. And our response was, no, this means he needs to be here. And that for the first month he was here, she stayed in the parking lot for the entire day. And in his first couple of days, he wandered around the parking lot. And then he came into the building. It's a 17-year-old. And then he sat down in class. And then it just progressed. And... Fast track a year and a half later, 
he was able to catch up on his missing credits and completed his high school education. Wow. And I, I think that's the difference, right? Is that there was a reason why he wasn't able to leave home or go to school. He was just too anxious. And that you, kids can't talk about anxious. They don't know the words. They don't have the, the ability to think or feel that way. But when we saw that mother who had that need and that child who who had the need, we have the flexibility to be able to do that, to walk that road. And uh, we were so proud of him when he finished. Wow, that's that's an incredible story. Um, so, any any other inspiring stories like that that you want that uh, you might share? Uh, you know, it's every day. Uh, every day we have. Let me see if there's uh, one that jumps to mind. I think. Um, uh, I don't know. It's uh, if, if you were to ask some of the kids, is, is that. A good example is we had a teenage girl come into our residential program and uh, she had been there that night and she went down to the school the first day and um, uh, she was interviewing the principal to get her schedule and she goes, I don't like it here. And principal says, how come? She goes, everybody's too nice. <laughs> and she said, well, what does that mean? She goes, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't like that. Um, but but the but the meant the notion there was it was just foreign that that when someone comes in we don't sit down and give them the twenty rules they have to follow as the orientation we realize that whatever program they're coming into it's a scary moment so we hook them up with a peer and we wander around and we feed them something and you know sometimes a kid under stress all they need is something to eat or somebody to talk to or to go for a walk and. And here we understand that, and we provide those opportunities whenever they need them. Um, oh. In a typical classroom, if the if the kids come in and they're unsettled, we we work with that before we hand out the math papers, right? Because we realize that if you, if you're kind of bothered by whatever's going on, you're not able to do math. So why even try and do that? So we provide the support services to get them to a place where they're feeling okay, and then we give them the math, and the math gets done. So I, I gather a lot of the environments they're coming from might be the kind of place they sit They sit them down when they come in, they say there's going to be no gum chewing and no drinking, and you better not be smoking, and don't do this, and no cell phones, and blah, 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 um, as, as opposed to starting with support. Yeah, and, and that if we see those kind of behaviors, it's not like it's permitted. It's just that we address them differently, you know, mm -hmm. that we, we want to come up with effective, supportive ways. And Probably the, the most important factor across our work is that we were taught as part of this work that as helping people, teachers or staff or any of that, anything we do to damage the relationship between us and the child damages our ability to help the child. Makes so sense. that, you know, that we want to be what uh, educators, not jailers. We want to be helpers, you know, and, and I think that there's a lot of ways to tell that child that they need to go to class, right? If they're wandering around the hallways of the school or outside or they need to do whatever. Um, and it isn't about threat of punishment to get them to do that. It's about what do you need right now to get to where you need to be? And we'll help you find out what you need because there's a reason for that behavior and that typically once we address the behavior from the need, it fixes itself. Seems like a really good approach. I, yeah, I'm, I'm always reminded of the, the 
joke I heard about the, uh, you know, the, the mother who says, don't let me catch you doing drugs. And uh, the child says, yeah, you won't catch me. <laughs> it doesn't address the problem. It just makes sure it's out of sight and um, out of, away from health, which is, of course, never the, the outcome you want. So it seems like a really good approach of engagement and, and not so much forcing bad behaviors underground, but actually, you know, showing that you're there to help and to, to be a, uh, you know, a resource for, for growth. That's exactly right. We're partnering with the kids on working on those behaviors, not battling with the kids working on the behaviors. Wow. Seems like a really, really good way of doing things. Um, so we're coming towards the end of our time, but do you have any final uh, comments you'd like to share before I let you go? Well, I appreciate the uh, the interaction. It shows that that uh, you have a bit of an understanding of what we are. And you said you had been out here. Uh, was that a while ago mm-hmm. or recently? Or? Uh, so, yeah, I was out there a couple of years ago. Um, actually, I used to work for Minuteman Press. Oh. Um, and so I, I was liaising about some of the, the printing projects. Um, and, and in terms of some of the educational theory, I actually went to uh, Sudbury Valley School myself. Ah. So, um, so I have some some alternative education background and knowledge. I also know um, the folks who run, or used to know the folks who run North Star up in uh, Western Massachusetts, which is a homeschool alternative. Well, I got that sense from the way you were asking the questions. So that's mm-hmm. good. Yep. Yeah. So I'm a huge. I, I, I and I I really I liked your answers. So I'm really glad glad to learn all the you know really great things you're doing there, and um and and that you're then helping spread those great things to other places, which is really good. Well, and one last point, I guess, is that uh, once the COVID restrictions are gone, uh, I really uh, ask for community folks that have an interest in what they're doing to call us, come out and visit, see what we do and why we do it and where we do it, because uh, we have lots of great community support. And, and, and if you have kids that are struggling, whether or not we are the right place, we're certainly a place that they can call to uh, and we'd be happy to help them find the right place. Oh, great. And so how, how would someone get in touch with you? With their website or? Uh, well, the website has all our contact information. That's waterfordcountryschool.org. Um, and our uh, main number is 860-442-9454. And the uh, phone system will sometimes direct you from there to where you need to go. All right. Well, very good. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a very interesting and enlightening conversation, and I appreciate having you on the show. Oh, Michael, it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate the invitation. That was such an inspiring conversation. For many, the one-size-fits-all model works, but for those that it does not, it can fail spectacularly. That is why it is so important that there are people like William Martin and institutions like the Waterford Country School out there. It was inspiring to hear their stories, and I hope you were inspired as well. If you know someone who has a story to share or something to teach, I'd love to have them on the show. Email me at michael at guywhoknowsaguy.com. The Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast is produced and hosted by Michael Whitehouse. Our theme song is composed by Patrick Howard of Four Unicorns Design. Other music and sound effects are from Benjamin Harvey Design by way of freesound.org and filmmusic.io. Special thanks to Pat Helmers of Habanero Media for all the great advice he gave me on relaunching the show. Find me on the web at www.guywhoknowsaguy.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash theguywhoknowsaguy. And now on TikTok at theguywhoknowsaguy. Please share links to this show with friends you think would enjoy it. This is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, reminding you that it's not what you know, it's who you know, and how much you're willing to help them. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. 
If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect. JV-Connect.com. That's JV-Connect.com. December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.